Okay, we got to start out with the boys because we have a bunch of giveaways this show, but this trade paperback that we just pulled out is a fun little story. This was going to be the giveaway for today's podcast, but it is not because... Why? Because why, Tom? Okay, well, why were we going to possibly give this away? We're not going to do that anymore. We're not giving it away now because, uh, well, The Boys, if you don't know, has been made into a fantastic show on Amazon Prime. So fantastic that it has beaten anything that Netflix has put out comic book related for this entire year. That's right. Making news online about just how great this adaptation was and how many viewers it brought. And it's quite staggering. And it beat out a lot of other Marvel really like put on a pedestal type of show. So I thought it'd be cool to give it away. And then Ryan opens it up. And what did you see? It's signed. And not only is it signed, but it is uh, personalized for Ryan. So like this has to go to Ryan. Like, Ryan, we can't just give this away. This has to be your copy. I guess it's mine now. You have to have it, man. That has to be a sign, dude. It's a sign of a sign. And we have a show filled with just a lot of fun comic book stuff because that's what we do every single Sunday. We do. Sorry, I stole your giveaway, comic fam. But we do have two giveaways from last week that we totally forgot to mention. Um, Congratulations, Matthew Bryant. You won the Batman Long Halloween trade. And Jason Doyle, you won the Rogue variant from Comic-Con. We have more giveaways to do. Before we do that, though, let's chat about Hellboy. I love Hellboy. Hellboy. Okay, Hellboy, we had a key alert go out this week. Let's chat about key alerts real quick. Key alerts are alerts. They're notifications that you get on your phone when you have Key Collector Link comics. in the bio for Android or iTunes. Use code TOM101 to get the full week subscription of the app in its entirety. You're going to get key alerts, and you're going to find out this week that the Hellboy collector's market was shaken. All right? It was shaken. What happened? I feel like I'm the wrong person to be explaining what happened in the Hellboy collector's market, Tom. That'd be like that'd be like me asking you about Green Lantern stuff. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so we had a discovery. Shout out Topher. Um, we used to do a lot of work with Topher. This guy's still killing the game, finding out some just awesome cameo prototypes and early appearances. Well, he discovered one that has a Hellboy collector. And, you know, there's other Hellboy collectors in this community that are all shocked as well. If you look at the eBay sales of this comic, you're going to see that many people agree. He found something pretty cool. He discovered in Next Men issue number 14, there's a poster of a Hellboy sketch on the kid's wall. Big deal. Why is this a big deal? Okay, it's a big deal because Next Men 14 came out in April. I have a couple things to to go over with you. So the Hellboy collector's market looks at a handful of issues to be significant because he appeared as a prototype clear up until the point where he was in mainstream comics. And really many collectors look at next man issue number 21 with him on the cover, big red in trench coat mass produced comic books to be his first appearance, even made it in an episode of big bang theory. My favorite show. <laughs> right. It's not my favorite. I don't show. think it's your favorite. I can't show. even say that sarcastically. <laughs> no, it's not my favorite show at all. All right. So we look at the list here and we talked about last week, the prototype of Hellboy on a comic con pamphlet, debuting in a Salt Lake City convention in 1991. Super scarce, didn't even look like Hellboy, but sold for $5,000. Clearly, people care about these real first appearances. All right, so Next Men 14 in April. It's a sketch, and it's on a red background, and that's noteworthy, and I'll tell you why in a second, because it isn't until May, a month later, that we see 
Dime Press issue four come out. This is an Italian magazine featuring a Mike Mignola cover with a Hellboy prototype in gray. This right here is looked at as the prototype of Hellboy. And comic collectors will pay an inflated amount for this issue. There's an error version of this issue. It's really tough to find in high grade, like nine eights are super, super scarce. It's very um, mostly collected in nine six because a lot of people give up finding the nine eight. Then we have San Diego Comic-Con that came out in August, 1993. That is the first Hellboy story. And people look at that as the first appearance of Hellboy in comic books because he's in his trench coat. It's black and white, but it is clearly a Mignola Hellboy story. He fights a dog demon. And then in December, you get your next men 21 first appearance. So this April appearance on a sketch, it's causing a stir because one, a lot of people missed it because who's really reading the early next men issues. If you're not collecting that issue 21, I mean, it wasn't a super popular run and having a new cameo just kind of come out of the woodwork has got a lot of people excited. Mind you, Hellboy just had a movie tank, we're probably not going to see much Hellboy stuff anytime soon. And we have some of the craziest spikes in a pamphlet and in a prototype happen in a short 14 days for this particular character. It's nice to know that a, uh, a particularly terrible film cannot completely derail like the overall enjoyment of the character and the property. That's right. And I actually have two other early appearances of Hellboy to share with the community that a lot of people don't know. And I'm going to tell you both of them in the after show. We also have a couple other fun things to chat about in today's after show, Ryan. Yeah, we're talking about a uh, a carnageized character that I don't think a lot of people were really predicting would happen. Yeah, you know, I can think of a lot of characters I would expect to get carnageized, but I think this one is going to surprise the community. You're going to want to hear about that. And we're chatting about a couple of your favorite directors, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one too. Certain people have found it popular to kind of disparage Marvel films. So we're going we're gonna to be talking about Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola in the, in the after show as well, unfortunately. Yeah, so stay tuned on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or iTunes after the camera shut off. We keep going. Hit the subscribe button. We got a lot more comic book stuff to cover because, hey, Ryan, where is like the first appearance of Spider-Man in a... Japanese comic book. It's not technically in a comic book. Yeah, it's in a magazine, right? It's in a porno. Playboy. Yes. Japan's Playboy. That's right. We're talking about the 1976 release of, um, as it's translated, it actually is called Weekly Japanese Playboy Issue Number 39. And in this issue, we have the first Spider-Man comic book making his appearance in this country. Yeah, I mean, technically, yeah, that's the first time. Issue number 48 of Spidey, John Remita Goodness. Yeah, they took uh, an already published American Spider-Man story, and they had to, I think they had to change some of the coloring because of the paper quality and everything that they had going on over there. But more importantly, they also had to like reverse all the images because Japanese is red from right to left. That's right. So all of the images had to be had to be flipped around, which which isn't that weird, but it does look different than the comic book that it uh that the story was taken from well story is is that marvel they would either sell the rights or did they sell the rights like we don't actually know for sure and some of you know if you look online at the history of, of some of the foreign comics it's kind of up in the air 
you know, whether they had full permission to do all the things they did. But in the 70s, Marvel was near bankrupt at multiple points. So safe to say that they didn't really mind who was printing their stories as long as they were making some money to keep it going. And that's why we see other printing presses take on a story and go, hey, this is the color work we have. We have to print it in this way. So it's going to look a little different. But they would go as far as doing other things as well, such as totally changing and cutting out and replacing characters on different scenes. We know that Hombre Araña would have full-on out-of-canon stories made in Mexico at this time by Jose Duran. And it's like these types of random occurrences that get collectors excited, but also it's still interesting to find out because this stuff really isn't recorded. So they're still coming out right now. And we actually have bleeding cool reporting on this uh, courtesy of Matthew Royball, who is the managing editor of the foreign comic collector magazine. So he was able to hunt for this and find it and actually show some pictures of it. Yeah. The pictures, honestly, uh, have to be my favorite part. And I know that sounds wrong, but the uh, the last page of the Spider-Man comic, on one side you have the comic book, and then the other page right next to it is just this full topless centerfold picture of the... Karen Christie's. Thank you. Centerfold. It's something, yes, it's something that they Marvel would never allow today. Like, Could you imagine? Ever. They're like, yeah, yeah, where do you want the comic story? Yeah, right. Just put it in there. It's no big deal. Yeah. Well, uh, just it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's hilarious. It would not fly today. I, I could say that much for sure. It wouldn't, but... This, this is a fun find. And you know what? I'm excited because this isn't the first time we've been talking about foreign comic books. This has been a up and coming thing in the collector's market because they're affordable because a lot of people don't know about the foreign comics to look up. They just know, hey, there may be a foreign copy and they've recognized the character. Boom. Then you have your person buying and collecting it. But there's not a whole lot of record of this. So you can typically find them in a pretty affordable way. This was purchased, I think, for like a dollar in a collection. Um, I think Jeff had... No, he did. The um, early Lobo Omega Man appearance, he had a foreign copy of that he found That's at right. the convention for super cheap. So, I mean, it's fun to see members of the community start to hunt these down. These are things I like to pick up because they're more affordable. This is cool. Yeah, not, not a lot of people have them. It's like a variant, you know? Exactly. So, all right, let's uh, keep it on going because we need to talk about... Let's talk about Eric Larson. We've been talking about Spawn a lot. We talk about this independent run that's breaking all kinds of records, causing stampedes at conventions, Spider-Man 300 this, Spider-Man 300 that. Then we got McFarlane talking about Spawn 600 and Spawn 300 this and Spawn 300 that. It's all exciting stuff, but no one is talking about Eric Larson. Yeah, as somebody... I'm just going to come out and say it. I have I have not a lot of experience or familiarity with this era of comic books. So as somebody on the outside of this who has heard all of the Todd McFarlane Spawn 300, you know, the hubbub that's been going on over the past month or so, to find out that one of his, you know, collaborators from back in that era has his own, he's got his own creator-owned comic that's, you know, kind of close. It's at, He's a Savage Dragon. It's coming up on the 250th issue. That's right. We have a 100-page Savage Dragon issue 250 coming out in February or March of 2020. And this is a huge deal. The part that interests me a lot about this is that Eric Larson has actually written and drawn all 250 of these Savage Dragon issues. And he even went back and redrew the one issue that Jim Lee had drawn. That's right. And Todd McFarlane, 
I believe, is just writing all of Spawn. And he's he's drawn a fair amount of them throughout the run, but it is nowhere near the, you know, the total all-encompassing 250 that Eric Larson's about to hit. That's right. People are excited that he's doing, I think it's a little over four pages in 301 of Spawn here pretty soon. And we have Eric Larson who's doing all of this since the beginning. And Savage Dragon is awesome and one that if you've read it from the beginning, you just you love the character. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, I've been reading Savage Dragon since I was a little kid. Like I just I know Savage Dragon like a character, like I know any other superhero in Marvel or DC because it came out in the early 90s. And this was one of those breakout 90s characters. It was just it's kind of simple, but cool. I mean, his freaking limbs regrow. It had to definitely stand out to still be going strong all this all these years later. So let me uh, read you a tweet of what Eric Larson said this past week. So it says here, presumably Todd is going to keep publishing Spawn forever. So I'll never be able to catch up. He's got a head start. So he's already saying like he doesn't think Todd's ever going to stop doing Spawn. So he thinks that Todd is going to remain to be the GOAT. You know, he's going to remain to be the leading independent publisher and, and Spawn's going to hold that title. But then he followed up his tweet with this. If the world record is publishing consecutive issues of a creator-owned comic book, Todd has that and it's unlikely I'll ever be able to catch it. If the record is consecutive issues written, penciled, and inked by one creator, I am way ahead of Todd. It's an interesting distinction to make. It, I don't know. It kind of speaks to me. I, this speaks to me. And you know what? He's not wrong. No. He's not wrong. And if you want any evidence, go through his portfolio of work. This is an artist that never stopped. And you know what's really cool about Eric Larson? For being one of the image founders, someone who is stuck with his creator-owned stuff, who's written for Amazing Spider-Man and, and drawn Amazing Spider-Man, like so much great stuff. This is someone who is one of the most approachable artists at any conventions I've ever gone to. His table is always like pretty scarce. Like people are people come up to see him, but it's not like Todd where you have to wait three hours and you right. may get a second. Like Eric will talk to you. He'll sign whatever you want. He's never charged me for a signature. Heck, we'll, you know, we'll do it right now. I have a, I don't even have a, a have one in front of me, but we're going to give a Eric Larson, Savage Dragon one sign. I have one. I know I have one. We're going to give one, one away. away too. Yeah, we're going to do another one because yeah. I'm a big uh, Savage Dragon fan. This is someone who I just encourage you to go see at conventions, talk to him about Spider-Man, talk to him about Savage Dragon. There are so many great issues in this run. And you know what? Respect to this creator and congratulations. He's got to be almost done or in the final stages of drawing issue 250 or, you know, finishing it up soon because it's coming out. Inking it or writing it. Yeah, whatever. Doing something. Doing something. He's doing it. it all. He's doing it all. So Eric Larson, keep killing it. And that right there is um, giveaway number one. Comment down below. Have you read Savage Dragon? You know, are you excited about seeing it hit 250? Are you reading Spawn? What do you think about Spawn? We just want to hear from you. And that'll be the one giveaway of a few we're going to do. All right, next segment of the show. We're talking about Joker again. People love this movie. We chatted about it last week. I, don't, I think I spoke about it prematurely because I've, st I've still been thinking about it. Me too. I've been chatting about it with Eris, you know, over at Variant Comics. He's my homie over there. and He loved this movie and he brought up a couple of really good points that got me thinking. And, you know, I, I dig it. I, I like the movie. I think it was really good. I want to see more Elseworlds types, types of storytelling. This was so different. And the thing that I can't stop thinking about is that I think I disliked his character design. I think that's what it was. I, I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it. There's a couple of things I wish were different, but then I think about it like, okay, I like it, I like it, I like it. But I think it's just the makeup. 
Like the final makeup, like the, with the blue eyes and the. I think that he just didn't. I, the blue eyes. Maybe it was just the blue eyes. Um, Nate Johnson, shout out. He's our web designer, and he's also a you know hustling comic book dude, and he's a friend of the shows. And he wrote a up a nice little post on his I Instagram, yep. and he specifically mentioned the makeup. Yeah. And I'm like, he's right. That the, the blue eyes got me, and the reason why I think they went with the blue eyes is because they wanted to have the you know him crying and they wanted the tears to be blue and i'm like okay i get that that's probably worth it worth doing it but anyways we we already talked about all of this kind of stuff it's a rabbit hole man i want to see is. it again i want to talk about it again i could okay. do a whole show on joker movie okay well you want to know who doesn't want to talk about it who jared leto oh okay let's chat about that because this is something that i was i forgot about to be honest this is a conversation we had over a year ago back when we found out that hey Suicide Squad happened. It wasn't good. But at the time, we knew that there were going to be more. That Jared Leto only got 10 minutes of screen time. That the movie was tossed out by critics and fans across the board. Not because they didn't like Jared Leto. Not because the the script was just terrible, terrible, terrible. Because even the script, we didn't even get the full script. We got like a, a, a cut up, crazy version of the movie that... Even the people involved said, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. Like It was so just so many hands were in the creative pot that it screwed up. Too many cooks. 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 Yeah, way too many cooks. As they say. And we had a conversation about, well, okay, well, where's this going? Because Jared Leto, he's got another Suicide Squad appearance that he said to do. Suicide Squad 2, he's supposed to be in it, which, by the way, he's not. Like, officially, he's not going to be in Suicide Squad oh, okay. 2. And then, also, he's supposed to get the spinoff with Harley Quinn, which, as of right now, he is not going to be doing anything. And we chatted about this last year, like, okay, well, are they going to be doing, like, when we found out about the solo film, are they going to be doing this alongside of that or no? I seem to remember last year when this was, when all these movies were still in the works, I seem to remember the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie standing alongside... Jared Leto appearing in the Birds of Prey film with Harley Quinn and, and the rest of the, you know, the Birds of Prey. But apparently uh, Jared Leto's not in that film. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand how he could feel a little, little burned. Yeah, he's saying that he was not only shocked at what happened, but there is press around the f- this proposed notion that he tried to even put a stop to to this solo Joker movie because he didn't know that this was even happening. When this information hit the public, when we were talking about it on the mic and we're trying to figure out, wait a minute, are they doing two separate Jokers? Like, is this a different timeline? Is this a one shot? They're going to keep this one going at the same time. Like everyone's reporting different stuff. He was just as confused as everyone else. This guy probably thought that this would be his, his character, his masterpiece, and that this would be something he would be known for, probably similar to how Robert Downey is looked at as his portrayal of Iron Man, that he would be the Joker of our time for like the next decade. He did sign a contract for multiple appearances, and he would have been, right, the only actor to play Joker multiple times, I think. I, you know, I'm not counting Mark Hamill, obviously, but on, on live action, right. he would have been the only one to, to play it multiple times, which would have made an impact, and I think have set him apart from everybody else who's played the character. But now, he's you got 10 minutes. He's got 10 minutes in Suicide Squad, and that's his whole contribution to the Joker. That was everything. 
Yeah. And yeah. he's got a right to feel a little, a little miffed. That's right. He's miffed. And we're hearing reports now of him being unhappy with how this went out. And you also got to assume, too, that with the success of this movie, it just cements it. Like, there's no hope that we're not going to see that rendition of Joker again. We're not going to see Jared Leto as Joker. Fortunately, he's already got his, you know, stuff lined up with Marvel right now to yeah. take on Morbius. And he's likely going to get franchises there. And it's going to be fine for Jared Leto. But still. Like this happened. It makes me think too, like about how Warner Brothers is ultimately. I, I place most of the blame for Suicide Squad on Warner Brothers and, Absolutely. The, and the studio meddling, and they've never really been able to kind of replicate the Kevin Feige effect that they were looking for. And so, to make up for that, I think they, the studio people, got involved in the production of definitely Suicide Squad, and I think also to a similar extent uh, Justice League. And they they got in and made a lot of changes that the writers, that the directors, didn't really feel comfortable with. I think. And that's why there's 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 always seems to be kind of like behind the scenes arguments that we don't hear about till after the movie comes out. And I think this is another another example of somebody who's kind of left in the in the dust, I guess, of all of these meddling decisions that the studio made in the movies. So now Jared Leto and his whole career as the Joker is is basically just an afterthought and an, almost an accident at this point. Yeah, he wasn't the only one to lose a job. Yeah, and this is all something I haven't really kind of. I mean, I've thought about it in passing, I guess. But when you when you actually sit down and think about it, like it's it's not just Joker who who kind of suffered and lost Joker, uh, Jared Leto who suffered and lost a role because of of these corporate decisions. I mean, you had uh, Lawrence Fishburne was involved in all these movies, right? He played Perry White, and, and Lois Lane was in the mix. And that's right. Now that he's not playing Commissioner Gordon anymore, though, he's now back on JJ J Jonah Jameson. That's right. Which uh, which is an improvement. So I mean, that's a silver lining. Absolutely. And I really like Jared Leto as Joker throughout yeah. that movie. He was my favorite part of the movie. Every time he had screen time, I was like hyped. It was the best part. He was scary. He, he was, was actually really a pretty scary, scary Joker. Man. Yeah. He I was excited get enough credit. to see him as a Joker. So, oh well, but I'm excited. Dude, he's going to kill us, Morbius. I know it. Yeah, and it's interesting too to see to see how these these they sign a contract for a DC movie. The DC movie kind of flops, and then they end up getting a second chance in a different movie that that works better. And I'm I'm kind of thinking of Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern. Right. That movie tanked. Now he's Deadpool. He's better off. And better hopefully off. something similar happens to Jared Leto and Morbius. What do you think, comic fam? You think he's right to be a little peeved? I mean, the recent success of Joker means it was, I guess, a good choice to make these decisions. We want to hear from you. Let's also chat about your comments. Viewer comments. What do we got? We have uh, four of them. This one is from Walt Armour. Good stuff. Had to mute out the Joker talk. But even then, I kept thinking only one thing. Tom needs a beard too. <laughs> oh, so he muted us. Okay, so last week's podcast, we talked about the Joker. We did the spoiler warning because, I mean, it was a full week after. We had, week week we and a half. We made Jeff leave the room. because Jeff's like, I'm just going to leave. Yeah, he the chose best way. to. Yeah, he was like, I, I really don't want to know anything about this movie. He was determined to keep spoilers I bet out. he still hasn't seen it, by the way. I know no, he, he hasn't. Man. He's pro That's where he is right now. He's well, watching the movie. It's tough because he's a dad, and you know he likes taking his kids to like see superhero movies and stuff, but this is R-rated. Not a kid movie. Not a kid movie, so yeah. it's like definitely not priority, I bet. Yeah, I, but I, I, I don't understand. Know. Anyways. Um, you need a beard is the, main, the main point. I can't grow a beard. Okay, because Russ is growing work. one too. He 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 had his time off, That's and right. it looks like he put you know he, <laughs> he put, put it that to good time use. yeah he put yeah. that time into growing a beard. No, was, I legit I've never been able to grow facial hair. Um, I literally can't grow hair under my nose like right here at all. It just doesn't. I've never grown hair right here, and then the rest of it's super patchy. And I look at my dad because he's you know he'll he'll grow a little you know beard okay, and yeah, a little I've mustache here, but it looks so bad. 
like it's all patchy and it doesn't look really great and i'm like no there's like that's the best i can do when i'm like 40 nah it's not gonna happen (laughs) it's not gonna happen (laughs) just baby face tom for the rest of his life (laughs) oh my goodness all right good good comment thank you so much i guess i should do this one this one is also about the joker movie it is from zorro Zorro, hey, this we've mentioned a couple people who are very important to our whole team here in the Bags and Boards show. And Zorro, Chalen. 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 <laughs> like Chain. Like Chain. Yes. Chalen. He is not only a supporter of the show, he is helping manage the Comic Ton 101 Clips channel, where we break down all of these segments we do and, you know, release them. He releases them as small little bite-sized pieces of content Separate for you clips. to consume. Yeah, so if you if you like one specific section of the podcast, you can go to the secondary channel that we have and find that section by itself. So you don't have to scroll through the, you know, the entire hour-long podcast to find one specific part that you liked. Yeah, it's posted all throughout the week and if you go to the description, you can go and um, subscribe. But anyways, we do appreciate him. He's a awesome member of the team. Mm-hmm. What cool, do you say? He had a cool take on the Joker movie. Oh, and to touch on the Joker movie, I loved it. Was so depressing, and I really enjoyed the angle they took with the origin. It was so depressing. I loved it. That's kind of what I was thinking. I too. remember I said that. I'm like, hey, it makes me feel sad. I yep. don't know. Like, I guess people. I guess, art. It's art. Art yes. is supposed to make you feel. Make you feel, Tom. Such a great telling of a complete descent into pure madness. The scene after he escapes the detectives on the subway, he has the Joker swag down so well. He really did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like running up the stairs and stuff. That whole. That whole. Oh, God, I love that movie. That's good. My vote for best performance of the character overall. But I'd be interested to see how he would play a full-fledged Joker in top shape. That said, I'd prefer it to remain a one-off. Interesting. I'm, I'm actually eager to hear about what Russ has to say about it. That's true. We gotta, we gotta get him on here. Didn't you say he didn't like it? Russ told me he didn't like it, and after the the blowback he got from the Heath Ledger Joker comments he's made in the past on this channel, I think he's a little hesitant to, to say himself what his feelings on the movie were. But we've talked at the comic shop and. He, All right, he didn't I'm gonna have to get it. him on the mic and yeah. get him talking about it. Russ did not like the Joker film. I'll I'll say that. Got a comment here from Trace Jones. I think the Golden Age part of the show is starting to be my favorite. Ooh, Golden Age uh-huh. appreciation. Yes, I love seeing the old covers and the stories behind them. I would probably never get to see these otherwise. So many thanks doing these videos. Oh well, we do appreciate you for commenting specifically about the Golden Age stuff because it's something that we all really enjoy. I am. A novice there's no way to to know that much about comics there's just so much and unless you're really like dabbling regularly in golden age it's just a, a fountain of information that is just you can never shut off and we're gonna cover more golden age on the show um guru is going to be doing more golden age shows here we're actually in a kind of a a molding period we're kind of getting storming we're gearing up to do more content right. for the community, but I do have some Golden Age comics in my fancy storefolio from Torpedo Comics um, that I'm going to share with you on the show here in a little bit. Fancy. But uh, thank you for the comment. Last comment from Masked Marvel. Really surprised no one is talking about the Bloodshot trailer. Bloodshot dropped this week. I'm stoked. And the comment was posted after the release of our podcast, but before yeah. the trailer dropped. We so, recorded last week's podcast before anybody saw the trailer. So why don't we just talk about it now? Let's talk about it now. We're here. We're here. Vin Diesel. I think it's... Ex- I'm excited, dude. I don't even care. Okay, so let's chat about the, the Bloodshot movie. And we're also going to talk about some Bloodshot comic books. First off, he mentioned like keys, right? He wants to know like yes. important bloodshot comic books. Well, they've been spiking a handful of them over the last year because of this movie. So 
if you head over to Key Collector, there's a button that says character search right on the homepage. I encourage you to go to the character search and just type in bloodshot and it's going to pull up all the relevant keys that you just got to know. There's like 20 of them. 20-ish. Kind of cool. Yeah, there's variants and there's like low print scarce stuff that you need to know about. And that's going to be the best spot for you to get that list to just consume it and know because you got to know this comics like right now. And if you use the code Tom101, you get a free week subscription and unlock the whole thing. However, there are other comic books that are so scarce that all happen to be bloodshot issues that we're going to talk about here in a second. But let's get into the trailer that dropped. Yes. What do you think, Ryan? You know me, right? You know my taste. What do you think I think? I think that this looks like a action movie that if they took out the word comic book would look like another Vin Diesel movie. And that probably scares you a little bit because you think it's going to be a little dense and more That's just right. action led. It might be too dense and too too hard hitting and, and emotional for me to make it through in such a such a high caliber film. This is a film that uh, I think Francis Ford Coppola would describe as <laughs> despicable, right? Is that what he said? Is that the word he used? Well, stay tuned for the after show. Jumping we'll get the gun into a little bit there. But I have similar opinions about Vin Diesel films as Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola oh have about gosh. comic book films. That's so silly. You shouldn't. It, I know. It's, it's a fun time, man. I know, and I'm we just broken. got done. Chalen's like, oh, I like the movie. It made me so depressed. Mm. Well, you know what? I don't think you should go to Bloodshot hoping to get depressed. No. You're going to want to get amped up. And I'll be depressed because of how <laughs> boring and bad it looks. But I, don't, don't listen to me. I'm, I'm a bastard. Okay. I don't think it looks boring. No. I think this... I'm, I'm stoked to see this because for the first thing is, as far as like Vin Diesel movies go, they surprisingly do very well and they especially do well after the movie comes out and hits like Redbox, DVD, Amazon, you know, like... It's a great movie to just watch with your friends to put on. It's a good action flick. I find myself re-watching those movies more than any other movie that I go to see in the cinema. Oh, man. All right? See, I'd be the, the guy who takes Joker home on, on Redbox and just puts that in and just, and just has it on in the background playing on repeat. That'd be, that'd be me, even with no sound on. All right. I feel you there. Mm -hmm. It's different, but you have to have your yin and your yang. You That's need right. your depressing, you know, you know, sad movies, <laughs> superhero. You know, hey, I'm a huge Unbreakable fan. Mm -hmm. That movie is not uplifting. You don't no. want to just throw on a superhero cape and go fight crime after watching that movie. However, it's one of the best superhero movies of all time, and it's not Marvel or DC. Check it out, by the way. If you've never seen Unbreakable, you should watch Unbreakable. That's right. Don't let the fact that M. Night has something to do with it. Like, like like it's a second movie. It was back when he was still <laughs> really good. That's true. That's that true. very true. Tangent. Yeah, tangent. We, that's actually a whole video we need to do eventually. Um, but I digress. We are talking about Bloodshot because here's the thing. The, a lot of people... There's been two things I can see from the community that make him a little bit worried. Because one, you either like Vin Diesel or you don't. And you know what? Fast and the Furious, whether you like that franchise or not, there's like a hundred of them. Super successful. Super successful. Like hyper successful. So like... It's not going to do you any good to complain about Vin Diesel action because there's enough of there's a market fandom for it. that there's a, it's yep. a huge market. Yeah, and and then I also challenge you: watch Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick, the whole thing. Do you have those? Of course I do. I need to borrow those. It's from you. so good, man. Pitch Black is so good. I saw it in a the theater, but that movie came out when I was like nine or ten years old, and oh, it did not. I did not. It holds yeah. up well, man. Okay, it really does. Okay, so you check that out. Boom, you're good. Vin Diesel, we're in. We're sold. Let's do it. And then you have. Like, it's kind of most of the preview. Like, they pretty much show most of the film. That's the right. That's, and that's whole, what people's complaints are. That's a whole... I agree. I agree with that. I think that's a trend that the movies nowadays 
are I think a lot of a lot of movies are guilty of that. We were just talking about Joker. I think I went back and watched the Joker trailer again recently, and there's a lot of the movie they give away in the previews. That was my complaint, man. That was yeah. my like my first thing I said is like I don't know if it was like because of the preview thing. Like I'm I, I just went into it expecting this, and that's what I got, and that made me a little upset. It made me not maybe not upset, but I wasn't excited. You know, I want to be excited. You pretty much get the whole vibe of this movie here, but there are a handful of things I'm stoked about. For one, this is a uh, an idea and I think didn't even Jeff mention like he feels like this is a an idea that is known you know like you have a government who is managing a a spy an infiltrator who is like hyper strong and has an advantage but they're kind of in control and he has to fight against them he gets his memory wiped every time he goes out for a mission I, I've seen this movie before I'll just say that I, I've seen this movie this plot before a, a billion times a little bit of a memento type of vibe going on here However, 90s character, early 90s before, that's true, and a really good one. But again, 90s character, that's before a lot of those tropes. This is like one of the early characters to really take that on. And to have that superhero aspect to it, character design, I'm excited. I'm going to watch this movie. And the character design was the third thing that people were most worried about. That I can also see why people have an issue with that. I'm, I'm typically somebody who doesn't get on board with the oh, this movie version of my comic book character doesn't look like the comic book character, so I'm right. angry. I typically could care less about that, and I'm, I'm okay with movie people making changes for, you know, some things work better in movies than they do on, on comics. Right. But I don't know. He, he looks like a jacked Vin Diesel, right? He looks like Vin Diesel. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have the, the all, you know, ghost white thing that yeah. Bloodshot has in the comic. He doesn't have the red. Right. I don't know. But to be fair, if you watch through the preview slowly, there is a quick little panel of him kind of, it looks like there's a white tint, white makeup on just a little bit. So I would say if that's your concern, the character design, you got to wait a little bit because this could be a reveal in the film and he could be maybe transitioning to become that character. You know, you never know. But however, at New York City Comic Con, when I went down the statue lot and I was looking at all the different stuff that they had on display, I found a Vin Diesel bloodshot statue and it's Vin Diesel all in white and mm. he's got the red dot. Like it's, it is bloodshot, but let's chat about some really fun, super, super scarce comic books because we're talking about bloodshot. How often do we actually get to talk about bloodshot? Not very often, you know, because this is a unique character to hit the screen. Not something that you'd really expect to happen so quick, but when it, was announced people started gunning for rare comic books and kind of more scarce ones that people thought were largely overproduced and now they're on spec radar again and there are some hyper rare comics there's a small list of comic books that exist that are like under the 15 print count like it's not very many but bloodshot has a couple slots on there 15 issues like comics yeah in existence so let's chat about some like wow hyper scarce comics so the first one as far as bloodshot comics go is not it's hyper scarce, but it is not a book that is under 15. The supposed print count is somewhere between 25 and 300. That's the the speculation on it. Again, a lot of these are rumors of what exists because you have CGC census, you have claims of people who have them and then you have publishers and what they shared. So the first one we're going to talk about is the platinum error variant. If you look at issue zero of Bloodshot, the Platinum Error variant, where the Valiant logo was, well, there is a gold variant that was produced. These issues were lacking the gold imprint. We don't know specifically 
how this happened. Was it a manufacturer error? Was it a prototype? Did they just make the first 25, 50, 100 of these to be distributed internally? We don't know. But this platinum issue is super scarce and super expensive. And it's not the only error that exists of this issue. It's kind of weird. There are actually multiple tiers of errors of this comic. The first one isn't this platinum error. The first one is just a straight up chromium error. And you can find this book for three to 400 bucks on eBay. Sometimes they'll sell for cheaper if you find them on auction. And it's literally just a manufacturer error. Like the cover itself looks wrong. The chromium is, is screwed up. The next one is the platinum error that I mentioned. Hyper rare, right? 25 to 300 print. This is the logo on the Valiant logo. It is silver. It looks like it's lacking the gold emblem like it was supposed to have, supposedly. This book, you'll see priced upwards of three grand on eBay. Doesn't sell very often, but there are also very few of them that exist. So when you're looking for one, you're going to be paying a good amount of money for it. Then we have the pink gold error. Now, this is said to be a prototype. And the only reason why this is labeled a prototype is because this comic book was actually handled by um, members who were part of the publishing of the comic book. And it was said that this was provided to CGC with the information that this was a prototype. It was a gold variant that they changed to pink. The Valiant logo was changed to pink and there's only one known to exist. So that's exciting stuff. These are very, very low print, all error written, but a couple of them have a little bit more of a story um, to how often does that happen? How often do you have multiple error prints of one single issue like that? You know, it all depends on the type of error and the levels of errors. To see one have this many and have them be known to yeah. collectors, it's pretty unusual. Right? I feel like I've only ever heard of, you know, you have comic A and then comic A, the error variant. There's like one error. You would think. But now let's move on to another super scarce comic book. Only one exists of this it's another bloodshot comic see what i'm saying like it's is it's interesting like oh it's it's under under 15 under 25 potentially like these are exciting things to talk about but on a list that's so small we have bloodshot showing up a couple times valiant and the bloodshot crew know how to make a collectible comic we have bloodshot salvation issue number 12 the Luis la rosa vin diesel variant this was a comic book and it's known to be the rarest Bloodshot comic book ever produced. And it was signed by Vin Diesel. Um, and this was produced in 2018. And we were just chatting about the question of whether or not his character design was going to match up. Well, this right here is like the first rendition of Vin Diesel as Bloodshot. And it was presented to him at the signing. Only one known to exist. And that is Vin Diesel as, as Bloodshot in white with looks, that red looks dot. pretty white. He's got the red. I mean, maybe I can't see how they don't do it for the movie. You would think, but yeah. you know, we have pictures of him right here. Um, this is from recalledcomics.com signing the sole issue. So again, this is super rare stuff. Maybe and, it's going to be, cool. maybe it's going to be a thing like Joker where you don't, where he only shows up in the full costume right at the end. And I think that's what it could be. And they're being a little smarter and not showing it in the trailer beforehand. Right. So people don't know what to look for. And then last but not least, we have the elusive Rye issue number zero. This is an error print. This is one that was alerted to me by Key Collector uh, months ago. I had never heard of this because it only said to be one in existence. It's going for $15,000. eBay listed this week. It came back. 
CBCS. 9.6. And it's missing the black on the cover. And yeah, 15K. But if you want to, there's an affordable plan. You can pay $720 a month for the next two years to get this comic book if you want. Act now. Supplies are limited. <laughs> Only one. But anyways, Only one. Some, some fun, scarce bloodshot. I'm going to see it. I think I got to make you watch it so yeah. we can have a fun little conversation about it. I'll see it. And maybe you'll be able to see how wrong you are. I'm pretty wrong. I know I'm wrong, though. That's the thing. Like I've, I've, I've become a, a film snob in my, in my uh, old age. I love it. I have some fun Golden Age comic books that I picked up at San Diego Comic-Con that I forgot to like... That was a while ago. I think I may have shown them on the camera once, like right when I got them, but I put them away and forgot to take them out. And then I realized we were talking about gold. Jeff's not here. You know, we can bring up some gold in each stuff real quick. Take a look at this storefolio. Torpedo Comics put out this storefolio. This right here fits a single CGC comic, which is why I forgot that I put my Golden Age Plastic Man in here. Um, However, it does fit a CGC comic and it is so dope. It was Ooh. under 20 bucks and it's just, it's fancy, man. That's good. It's got the nice logo on there. That's it's got, like the felt Ooh. and and it's got a little uh, ribbon here to like for Classy. easy access. But anyways, I just, just showing that off. Um, Torpedo shout out, um, go follow them on Instagram, but I picked up two comic books from them. I wanted to share with the community um, two copies. I, I just, it's, I, I'm not collecting a whole lot of stuff right now. To be honest, I actually sold a lot of my collection when we started the show. I wanted to get new cameras. I wanted to get new microphones. A lot of the show was funded by selling off my personal stuff. Yeah, I have very few Hellboy memorabilia anymore. I had to give away a lot of my uh, my graphic novels for the first round of the mail call, too. A yeah, lot of did. my single issues went into the first mail calls. Yeah, we gave away so much of our of our own stuff to kind of get things rolling. So um, I don't buy myself comics that much anymore. But when I do, it's got to be something like super special. So uh, stuff that I'm not going to feel like I want to list again, you know? So I have a couple of police comics. I have issue number 15 and 52 from Torpedo Comics. And we'll put pictures up on on the screen. But what's cool about these issues here, um, take a look at this. Ryan, can you read, um, let's see here. This is from, these comic books are from the William... And Selmo Peta collection. All right. And what's cool about this is that these are original owned Golden Age comics. And it was part of a much larger collection that Torpedo Comics acquired. Talked about this before, right? Yeah, we mentioned it. I believe it was either on the show or the after show last week briefly. But because of that, it reminded me like, hey, we own some of these pieces and I want to show you on the mic. So do me a favor. Can you read? Here, just, just read the back of this, and, and we'll show the comics on the screen. William Anselmo Pera was born December 30th, 1941, in the San Fernando Valley, weeks after the attack on Pearl Harbor. He attended Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California, and served in the National Guard. He worked as a machine operator for Jersey-made dairies until his retirement in 1998. William assembled an incredible collection of pop culture-related collectibles, including baseball cards, comic books, 45s, posters, pulps, toys, games, refrigerators, matchbooks, Big Little Books, sci-fi magazines, and much more. The collection spanned to 10 decades, with items as old as the late 1800s, with comic books being the focal point. He continued to collect until his untimely demise in 2018. What differentiates this collection from many that we've seen is the incredible record William kept of each book. We have kept the collection in the original Mylar with William's original notes. So, original Mylar. Mm Mm-hmm. Original notes on the back both for posterity and respect for our fellow collector's work and dedication to the hobby. One of the most beloved pieces in the collection was a one-year anniversary gift from his wife, Linda Harbour-Para, 
which was a copy of Wonder Woman number one purchased in 1972 for the price of $45, which adjusted for inflation and in today's terms is the equivalent of $275. Right. Seems like a steal to me. So, yeah, it's a... you know, whenever I go down to Torpedo, they typically have parts of this collection available. And I always go through the police comics section because these were his. And yeah, you know, they're low grade. They're affordable. So that's a, it's a plus for me on both ends. I'm not having to spend thousands of dollars on some OG Plastic Man to fill my collection. But, you know, it has the notes on the back on that, that little uh, notepad right there. That's uh, his handwriting. It says Police Comics, March 1946, number 52. I mean, if you look at it closely, it looks like he did this with a ruler um, yeah, on the notes. Super... It's, it's very uh, carefully written. None of the, the letters go below the line. Um, so he took really good care of his Golden Age comic books. And whenever I can find a police comic or something that really interests me from this collection, I just feel like I got to have it. It's the history. There's so much more history than the Jack Cole and the, and the spirit appearance in this issue number 15. Um, it's, it's really cool. And it's, it was a privilege to be able to buy them from torpedo. So anyways, these are two pickups from San Diego. I actually picked up another one at New York, but I haven't unpacked it yet. Heads up bricks. The iron beast guardians 13 is coming to you. Yeah. You won that one. And then shout out to Roy, uh, Campbell. You won the John boy poster also signed by John boy. And then we also have a copy of Ultimate Fantastic Four, volume number five, going out to Jacqueline Fernandez. Thank you for commenting in the comments section of our videos because we do a lot of giveaways. Um, We're going to actually give away some really fun stuff this show. So stay tuned. Um, We are going to jump into another story here because we got to talk about Watchmen, dude. Came out of nowhere. I'm so freaking pumped about this show. I felt like nobody was talking about Watchmen in the lead up to this show coming out. Well, because I think they did it right. They didn't tell people what the hell was going on. And holy crap, my mind is blown. It's all I can think about. I want to watch more. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Good. I'm glad you're in. I watched it twice already. It came out on Sunday night. Today is Wednesday. Yep, HBO, baby. HBO. They were showing a few promos for it during Game of Thrones, but I think a lot of people rightfully canceled their HBO subscriptions after the complete cluster F that this most recent season of that show was. Right. And a lot of people are missing out on Watchmen right now. Why did people decide to ignore Watchmen? Why do you think? They, like you said, it wasn't really, it wasn't marketed very hard, I don't think. People were confused. It's and like it was confusing day. marketing. Yeah, it's not really, it wasn't like when Watchmen the movie came out, it was pretty clear like, okay, this movie is Watchmen. This is the comic in a movie. Right. This TV series, not so clear as what's going on. Like there's, a whole bunch of people wearing Rorschach masks. Right. There's cops who have masks on their face. Yes. There's Night Owl's ship like getting shot out of the sky and crashing into the ground, and the whole thing appears to be taking place today instead of the 80s, like the comic book. It's Alternate all- universe? What's going on? Like, I legit thought that this was a adaptation of Watchmen, that they're going to throw out the book, throw out the movie, anything we know, and this is like an interpretation in modern times, uh, uh, maybe a novella of sorts. That's what I thought this was going to be. And I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Let's check it out. And I was wrong. I was so wrong. I was very on board because this version of the show is created by Damon Lindelof, who uh, I have been in love with ever since. Uh, he was one of the co-creators of Lost. Uh, thank you for believing in our show. And the Emmy voters, thank you for believing in our show. And ABC, thank you for believing in our show. Touchstone. Thank you for believing in our show. 
Uh, we know it can be frustrating. Bear with us. Uh, <laughs> Everything comes back to Lost. I haven't mentioned Lost in a few weeks. What the heck, dude? I've been good, but now we're talking about Watchmen, and I got to say, he brought some of that same crazy Lost energy to this show, and I think when, you, when you're done watching this episode, there are, I want to say, like four or five serious questions I have, and that's awesome. That's, okay. I haven't felt like that since Lost. So because this is going to be a bit more difficult for people to watch because it's not everyone has HBO. Right. You know, it's like Game of Thrones. Like people actually seek out to get information. I'm going to spoil a couple things to get you excited about the show because I think these are things that would otherwise be in a trailer. But I think it's, if anything, you're going to hear this. If you're not interested in watching it, you're going to want to watch it. So warning, I'm going to spoil Spoiler some warning. things here. But this info is out there now. So I don't feel bad for it. And it's going to get you excited. First off, modern day take. Not connected to the movie in any way. No. But it's a sequel to the book. It's a sequel to the comic. But fast forward, you know, 20, 30 years after the end of the, after the, end of the comic. That's right. So I will mention three things that I think will get you excited. First thing is... Are we seeing Ozzy Mendez on screen again? Maybe. Yeah. Jeremy Irons is playing a very mysterious man who lives by himself with with a couple of weird servants who, by the way, need to be talked about at some yeah, point. They're probably robots or something. I think, yeah, they're robots or something. I don't, I don't know what's going on with those servants. But he's living by himself. And there's the theory is that this is Ozzy Mendez, who, if you know from the original comic, which I sure hope you've read, he was one of the watchmen, one of the people on the team who was ultimately revealed to have been behind the evil plot the whole time. That's right. And the smartest man in the world. Right. Well, next to Dr. Manhattan, who we get a glimpse of in our modern time. He has a 24-hour right. station devoted to what is going on on Mars because he's just up on Mars making stuff still and destroying stuff. Yeah, doing the same stuff he was kind of doing during the comic book. Yeah. Building structures. But we have an eye on him because yeah. we got to know what's going on with Dr. Manhattan. He's an important fella. Which may be a little confusing for those who've only seen the movie because in the movie, Dr. Manhattan is used as the catalyst to bring all the countries together to end Doomsday, the threat of Doomsday, because they look at him as the really biggest weapon in danger to human civilization, even though it wasn't him. And Dr. Manhattan's like, "That's it's okay. I want to go peace off in the universe anyway, so I'm just going to go. And you guys will just fear me, and you'll have to ally. In the comic book, Ozymandias kind of makes this fake giant squid-like alien. Well, alien is not really an alien, but it gets teleported into the middle of Times Square, and that is seen as like a, a crazy, almost like a terrorist attack-level event. It kills like a million people, and it kind of puts the pause on, on this, like you were saying, on this crazy, almost nuclear war that's happening between various countries. So this like giant squid is sold as a alien interdimensional attack on human civilization. And it's for that reason why the countries get their act together yeah, they and unite and they unite to, to fight aliens, not Dr. Manhattan. Well, the third reason why you need to watch Watchmen is that the squids, what's going on with the squids, the squids, it happened. They're, de they're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, the sky gets really dark, and then it just starts... Alarms start going, because yeah. like, this is something that happens all the time. Yeah, nobody seems to really be freaked out by this, which is it's a freaky event, but little baby squids start just plopping down from the sky. Raining from the sky. So that tells you that this is not connected to the movie storyline. Yeah. Dr. Manhattan isn't looked at as the person to end Doomsday here. No, this is, this is tied to the book. Which is better. 
massively better that they, oh my that gosh, they chose that. As soon as I saw the squids, I was just like, I'm in. This yep. is this is a, like everything right now. It's like Watchmen's, <laughs> it's Watchmen's version <laughs> of the monster in the jungle that's knocking down trees and you don't yeah. know what's going on. Like oh. you need a good mystery to kind of like keep you keep you invested. Are you watching Watchmen? Because I think that this is worth signing up for HBO. At least wait a few weeks until there's a few episodes and then try the app. Like take right. a take a free week trial of the app and, and binge it. I agree. It's worth it. I'm having a good time and we're going to be definitely bringing it up on the podcast in the future because I'm so stoked. I knew you would watch it, man. I of put course. it on the list and I'm like, odds are Ryan watched it. I so. love Damon Lindelof, man. Also check out The Leftovers on HBO. That was the last show he did before this. It is fantastic. And it's a perfect example of why they should have chosen him to do this. And yeah, it's a good show. They're all good shows. He's a, he's a talented creator. Shout out to Ink Ink Collectibles. This is an awesome Etsy store that specializes in the commission of awesome art prints from talented artists from across the board within their region and internationally. And they've been fans of the show for quite some time. I just really appreciate these guys over there. They helped us get all of our monstrous signed at Emerald City that one year. Um, They've also donated a bunch of awesome artwork from their talented artists to be featured on the back of the newsletter for our mystery mail call. So I just want to give a big thank you to them. I'm going to put their links in the description really great art but they help support independent artists who are just hustling trying to just you know share their talent with the world and they are very talented who do we, who do we got over there that we're sending out we got daniel cameron who did the batwoman art print from last year and then it's uh just franny Thank you. Just Franny did the death print from, uh, it says last October's mail call. This was a year ago. Yeah, a year ago. And Just Franny recently did the Spider Gwen from last month that went into the mystery mail call. So we have a couple prints we're going to be sending out. We have three different giveaways. Um, can we please show um, the Ghost Spider is going to be the first one um, signed by Sean and McGuire. We'll make sure someone gets a print with that. We have another giveaway we're doing. The Midtown Comics variant of Absolute Carnage number one, signed by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. This is actually drawn by Donny Cates, and it is actually Comic Karma from one of our viewers. It is from Gunslinger Priest. We're gonna be sending that out too, with along with one of the uh, one of the prints that we just looked at. Yeah, don't forget we have the Savage Dragon giveaway, also signed by Eric Larson, that we're gonna send out. We'll throw a print in with that one. Comment down below. Let us know like what you think about the video. What do you think about the news? What was your favorite subject? We want to hear from you. Um, subscribe. We make a lot of comic book content. Don't forget about that Tom 101 code. When you go on to Key Collector, look for the logo there on the homepage. You put that code in, you get a free week subscription. You're going to get the best comic book collecting app that exists on the market. Don't forget, you got a couple of weeks left to sign up for the November mystery mail call. That's right. Our exclusive comic this month is Undiscovered Country, the first issue. Scott Snyder wrote it. The variant is drawn by Danny. Yep. She's pretty cool. Yeah, the art's awesome. Under a thousand made. Get on it. I mean, we're selling them out quick. Link is in the bio to join the community. And as always, please geek responsibly. Enough said. After show. After show. Thanks for joining us, comic fam. It's the after show. Want to talk to you about something. We're going to sing this whole time. The whole time we're going to sing. Sing, 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 sing. On the whole show. Okay, here we go. We're going to jump into the first one. Um, we alluded to this. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch the stories. I'm gonna talk about the first one, the Carnage stuff, because people are all excited. They're like, "Wait, what? Carnage More characters? I've never heard of this before." Everyone's getting Carnage What? More characters getting Carnage I had no idea that they would do that. How crazy! Isn't it a crazy subject? How crazy is that on a scale of one to ten? Oh, like eleven hundred. Right? Like what? Who? Who thought that they would have the balls to do this? 
I thought it was just going to be done. I thought Absolute Carnage was over already. I thought they weren't going to do another Carnage comic book for at least a year. Right? Just end it halfway through and be like, no, we're done. Yep, no more characters. No more Carnageize anything. That's Why? Right. Yeah. Well, you know what? They're going to Carnageize another character. Thanks to Donny Cates. We're getting a new character because of a solicitation that was just dropped. And the solicitation is for Captain Marvel issue number one. And There's son a- of a bitch, they Carnageized Chewie. That's actually the note from uh, the Golden Age Guru. He put that on the note section because he found this and he said... Thank you, Jeff. Exact those exact words. He's like, ah, first appearance of a carnageized pet, smiley face. And you know what? He's right. We looked it up this is the very first time. I mean, that I know of. I mean, it could be wrong. We didn't look it up. I, I, I did not. I did not look that up. We got to be really careful about that. <laughs> watch, yeah. watch us be the next biggest character. <laughs> That's right. And they're like on the on the after show. Actually, Thor's dog was carnageized <laughs> in issue two of Absolute Carnage. What if issue be. number? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I know, but no, for real though. We have on the solicitation. We have. Captain Marvel fighting off tentacles, and the tentacles come from her cat, Chewie, who's a flurkin, but the tentacles are carnageized. So, yeah. He's shooting out like red tentacles out of his mouth. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Which actually made me think of a different comic book cat who shoots red stuff out of his mouth in a not so friendly way. Who? I'm thinking of Dexstar. Who is this? The coolest red lantern. There's there's uh there's Green Lanterns that most people are familiar with, and then uh, there's a whole bunch of other colors. There's Red Lanterns. There's Blue Lanterns. There's different colors. It's so it's a colorful rainbow of fun. What? Mm-hmm. It's a okay. So who is this character? There is an organization referred to as the Red Lanterns. Okay. They are evil, and one of these Red Lanterns is a cat, a house cat from the planet Earth named Dex Dex Star. Okay. And he's adorable and cuddly, and he vomits. Red acid blood. <laughs> that's that's Dexstar. Okay, and what's his uh, first His appearance? first appearance was from the one-shot Final Crisis, Rage of the Red Lanterns, which was kind of where all of the uh, Red Lantern stuff first first came on the scene. Okay, so we have carnageized animals, courtesy of Kate's. We have lanterns I didn't even know about. Dexstar, man, look him up. He's cool. That's pretty dope, actually. This getting me interested in reading some Green Lantern. We need to do some content on Green Lantern because you're such a fan. That'd be fun. That's right. Maybe get you another tattoo. Just the same tattoo I already have, but on a different place. That'd be so dope. You're like, yo, Ryan has five tattoos. Yeah, they're just the same tattoo. <laughs> just copy paste. Copy right? paste. <laughs> just the same Green Lantern, Green Lantern on different parts of your body. That would be very lame. <laughs> I feel you, someone has to have done that. In which case, you're cool. Yeah. But as a concept, it's pretty lame. All right. So um, let's uh, talk about this next fun subject of the show. Because this is something that has been brought up a couple times, and we decided not to talk about it when it, the news first dropped. And then it happened again, and then it happened again. We have different, like, famous directors. It's an ongoing conversation. Yeah. Like, I think it started with Robert Downey um, responding to it, which really started blowing it up a bit. But what's going on? Because this is a conversation that's been evolving, and it's been over a month, and more people are getting, like, thrown into it. I think it started with Martin Scorsese. True. That's where it all started. Yeah, who said that uh, Marvel movies weren't all that good. No, they said they were bad. That yeah. they weren't, it wasn't cinema. I very much love that man and the movies he makes. One of your favorites. Yes. Martin Scorsese is like a top three director for me. What are some of the things he's directed? He has directed Goodfellas. He has directed The Departed. He has directed uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. 
uh, Casino. There's a there's a bunch of movies this like man has big, made. Big big movies. Yes, they're they're pretty awesome. And he's respected too. So like when he says these kind of things, you know these actors and actresses are actually feeling it. Yeah. And this isn't like M Night saying it. No, no, this is a this is a this is a good director. I don't want to say M Night Shyamalan is not a he's good not director. A, he's not he's, a bad director. He's good. He's he's he's, had, he's got a bad rap. Unfortunately, he made some stinkers. But you know, every, everyone's got some stinkers in that closet. Anyway, Martin Scorsese, crapping on Marvel movies. I can't really disagree. I mean, I I don't think he should have said that stuff. I don't think he's entirely right. I think these movies have their place, and I even. And this is coming from the guy who was just talking smack about the bloodshot trailer that we just watched. And it's it's kind of coming from the same place, like like movies. There's two different kinds of movies. You know, there's art house cinema and then there's fun movies. Sure. Which I guess you can you can pretty safely put most movies into one of those two camps. And I don't think it's entirely accurate or fair to say that one whole subset of, of movies is is not worth it. Well, he wasn't the only person because after he went on the mic to say that, or rather tweeting it and getting you know a lot of people riled up, we had Robert Downey Jr. being asked about this um, in interviews, and then he had to defend kind of superhero movies in their entirety and saying, like, of course, they're cinema. I mean, you're, we're acting and we're playing a role. I mean, we're, we're, we're on stage. Like, what, what do you want from us? Well, then we have someone else very respected um, doubling down on it. Yeah, another another director who's also pretty famous for making gangster movies and who uh, actually directed my favorite movie of all time, The Godfather. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola came out and called Marvel movies despicable. 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 Yeah, he's he's specifically went a little bit beyond what Martin Scorsese had to say. That's right, and you know he actually like he didn't just double down. He like made sure that his words were known because he said, here, we're going to quote him here. He says, Martin was kind of, Martin Martin was kind when he said it's not cinema. He didn't say it's despicable, which I just say it is. That's a quote from Francis Ford Coppola. And I kind of want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I kind of want to see it from their perspective. And from their perspective, these big budget blockbuster reboot sequel franchise connected universe films are kind of all that Hollywood seems to be making right now. And those are the only movies that seem to really be getting any kind of, you know, effort or backing behind them. And the, the kind of slow drama art house movies that these directors have made in their careers. That's why it's happening. That's why these people are getting upset. Yeah. They're, they're really, yeah. There's not a lot of, uh, public appetite for those kind of movies much to my chagrin because i'm a big fan of you know heavy dramas yeah i can i can see where they're coming from ryan's a crier yeah i love to cry he loves to cry by himself and it's yeah it's pathetic yeah no it's it's okay it's okay but no 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 i I mean he's not they're not wrong but they're also being extremely bullheaded and and they shouldn't be uh making such blanket statements absolutely and James Gunn actually responded this week, and I have to agree with him. He says that a lot of the great godfathers have brought their opinions out to the public, and he said that although he understands what they have to say, like during their time when they wrote these big movies that we now look at as some of the biggest movies of, of our generation and past generations, that at the time when they were created, 
they weren't respected in this very same way that they're not respecting superhero movies. And James Gunn brings up a good point about how movies kind of go in waves. Like how in the 30s and back in the day, there were a lot of gangster movies and those were viewed as kind of popcorn cinema and not very artsy. And a few of those movies kind of rose up and became classics over time. And then you get into like the 50s and 60s when everybody was making westerns. There were westerns everywhere. And most of them were fair to middling. And, you know, there were a few that rose up and became all-time classics. Right. After that, we got into like the sci-fi craze with Star Wars and, and, you know, all that stuff throughout the, you know, the late 60s and the 70s. Things just kind of go in waves. And right now we happen to be in the middle of a very big superhero phase, if you want to call it that. James Gunn says some superhero films are awful. Some are beautiful, like Westerns and gangster movies. And before that, just movies. Not everyone will be able to appreciate them, even some geniuses. And that's okay. Heart emoji. And I think that's well put. We'll leave you with this today, comic fam, because as a Hellboy collector, I got excited with all of this key collector alert news and conversation about Hellboy appearances and, you know, getting getting excited, having to like polish my Hellboy knowledge because I haven't looked into it a lot. Um, I sold a lot of my Hellboy memorabilia when I first started the show, you know, paying for cameras, things like that. So I let go a lot of a lot of pieces, but there are a couple pieces that I still have. And a couple of them are I would put on par with like these real first appearances, like ones that, you know, when we're talking about on the, what are like the 10, the 10, the, the seven items that came out around the time that Hellboy was first published. You know, what are those collector pieces? And we went through a fun of a couple of them already. Well, I want to chat with you about a couple more that you may not know about. So the first one, um, sitting behind Ryan right now, and you'll, you know, it's okay. This is in the after show because it's been on camera since we've had this set. We have a Hellboy poster behind Ryan's head. That Hellboy poster is features Big Red. He is red and he's in a trench coat. This came out in 1993 and I date this prior to San Diego Comic-Con issue number two. The reason why that this is said to have come out prior to that short Hellboy story looked at as the first full appearance of Hellboy because he's in a story and he's in a trench coat is because it has been said that this is the first time Hellboy was drawn in a trench coat, which predates it from that August appearance. So super scarce. It's the first Hellboy poster. A lot of them are tattered. Posters are tough to collect because people typically put them up with pins so they get holes in them or the edges are cut off because they put tape and they rip the tape off or the back is littered with debris because people like to roll tape or glue and do things of that nature. Heck, I still think you should be able to glue your poster to your wall, but what do I know? Okay, so you have this red Hellboy poster. It's early. It predates San Diego Comic-Con. I haven't been able to confirm this by publication date because, you know, good luck finding a random item the month that it came out. However, I have been told by Mignola and we, I have it um, on record from someone who knows the owner of the original Hellboy poster piece, like the original art, that it is the first Hellboy trench coat and someone who paid a lot of money for that piece because he was able to validate that. So that gives some reason to believe that that is accurate. Maybe we'll find out some more information validating that. But I have another piece that I'm going to show, and I'm actually going to post this on Instagram. So um, do us a favor, comic fam. I would love to know who listened to this portion of the show because I'm going to post this closer to the release date of this show on Sunday. And yeah, if you heard this portion of the podcast, please like maybe comment on the Instagram post over at Comic Tom 101. But Ryan, take a look at this. This is a trading card. Can you describe that? 
It is a black and white photo or drawing of Hellboy with some creepy tentacles That's on right. the foreground. And the background is this nice sparkly red. That's right. And flip it over. And what does it say? What does it say? Mike Mignola, Hellboy, Fredonia Funny Works, Orange, California. And it's got the phone number of this place. It's this 10th anniversary, 1982 to 1992. That's right. So this was a 10th anniversary, and it was a collection of playing cards. They only made 1,100 of them. And it was encompassing the 10 years from 1982 to 1992. I, apparently, they sourced all of these drawings to make these cards so that they could be released in early 1993 on the card. It actually says 1993. And when presented to Mignola, which if you flip it over, I have him signed. signed it, you know, because at the time I asked him, Hey, Mignola, do you know anything about this card? He looked at it. He scoffed and goes, ha ha ha. No one knows about this. And he looks at me and says, this is the first appearance of Hellboy. This predates everything. Now I do not have an official date that I found on the internet on the internet to validate that release date. What I do know is that Mignola looks at this as the earliest like published Hellboy that he drew that was published in mass that predates Dime Press, sure as hell predates Next Men 14. However, it's a card. It's a it's a it's you know it's OG number nine in the series, but it is Hellboy and it has it's big red. It's on it's on a red foil. And it's low print. So anyways, this is, although dated 1993, likely drawn before then and likely published before then, if we go by what Mignola says, which, you know what? We've had many podcasts where we have discussed even artists and writers own inaccuracies on publication dates and when these types of things were released because they didn't care about that stuff when they were coming out. They were just pumping out work, doing their job, especially in the early stages when this stuff was prototype and they were probably doing this on the side for side hustle. Yeah. And their, their minds are on the stories and the art and it's on us to, uh, to sort out all the, uh, all the important collecting data. Yeah. So again, I'm going to post this on Instagram over the next couple of days. And if you heard this part of the podcast, would appreciate if you left a comment over there, just like, let us know who's, who's on Instagram, who's uh, enjoying our, our audio version. See what kind of crossover appeal we had. How many people have Instagram who also listen to the audio portion? That's right. And who also feel like commenting on, on the Instagram post. See how that goes. We appreciate you. Thanks for being with us today. We'll talk to you very soon. Have a great weekend. Bye. <laughs>